Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. After beating a relatively toothless Lille, it's all eyes on the gala match for PSG as they take on Real Madrid on Tuesday. And as Zinedine Zidane continues to flirt with Kylian Mbappe. We'll look forward to that with Jonathan Johnson from ESPN and then go over all the weekend's action, including a goal from Jeff and a shocking red card in Lyon, OM winning in front of the biggest away fan contingent ever, Islam Silmani literally handing Bordeaux a win, and a flurry of woodwork hitting shots, which would have made all the other matches a lot more exciting if only they had gone in. I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. Uh, with me today, we have Clinton McDovis. Hi, Clinton. Hi. Now, Clinton, um, I, I heard on the previous show, Lewis tell us all, tell, tell all the listeners that they should absolutely be following you on Twitter. I would like to warn them that if they're going to follow you for football only, they're in for a lot more than, than they would expect. But uh, I will say it is entertaining. <laughs> uh, with us as usual, Muhammad Ali. Hi, Mo. Hello, hello. How was the weekend? Uh, it was good. Um, I was away again, but um, it was it ended pretty well, obviously, with the win last night. Of course, and we'll get around to that. And uh, our guest today, when he isn't making fun of Mo on Twitter because of Marseille's <laughs> results, he <Drum> covers... <laughs> He covers Ligue 1 and PSG for ESPN. Hello, Jonathan Johnson. Hello, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. Pleasure to have you on. Where do we find you today? Uh, I am coming to you live from Madrid, ahead of uh, PSG away at Real at Santiago Bernabeu tomorrow. Very exciting. Were you at the press conferences and all the uh, preliminary events? I was indeed. I was at the PSG press conference and training. I wasn't at the Real one. All right. Well, let's get started right away then uh, with PSG having played on Friday against Lille at home, obtaining a 2-0 win. It was, uh, Jonathan, it was a, you know, fairly routine win for PSG and a, a very different match from obviously the last confrontation between these two teams. Yeah, <clears throat> having watched it back, it was uh, I wouldn't put it down as a as, as a classic. Um, certainly, obviously, many people have fond memories of <clears throat> Lille thrashing PSG towards the end of last season. Um, you know, I'd say it's kind of symptomatic of PSG's season so far. Uh, you know, it shows them doing you know just about enough. You know, perhaps not really being challenged enough in Liga. Uh, but also not really being, you know, that convincing themselves, never really getting themselves out of the maximum uh, second gear, uh, you know, and almost saving themselves for, for for what they consider to be the biggest matches, really. Yeah. And uh, some novelty a little bit, though, with obviously the return once again of Neymar, um, who, who made his first appearance since his latest injury. And also, uh, what did you make of Julian Draxler, who seems to be, in my opinion, improving a little bit over the last few weeks? Yeah, I mean, obviously Neymar, each time he comes back from injury, which is quite often, um, you know, it's, people are always kind of watching, waiting to see if something happens. Uh, you know, when he made his first appearance uh, after failing to secure his move to Barcelona, he scored you know, the superb goal at home to Strasbourg. Mm. Uh, he had a couple of matches 
around about that time where he came up big and secured uh, wins for PSG. Uh, you know, but since then he's you know he's kind of drifted in and out of games at times. Um, didn't really do that much against Lille. Okay, I mean I, w- I wouldn't say that he was perhaps as bad as many people made out, uh, which I think is normal um, when you consider how little he's played uh, and how far off optimum fitness he is. Uh, you know, but also at the same time, I, th- I think he probably needs to be more accepting. Uh, of the fact that he's not going to be at the peak of his powers for a while now. Um, you know, he's going to need mm. some consistent matches um, and to, to build his fitness right up. Uh, and because of that, you know, I think his, you know, his show of frustration was, uh, you know, a little, a little bit pointless, really. I mean, OK, we've seen, you know, you know Neymar is, uh, is, is, is a player who's looked after very, very well at PSG. Um, and Brazil, despite the fact that he manages to to pick up so many injuries, so it's not uncommon for him to go and have treatments immediately after coming off the pitch. So I'm not really sure that we need to make too much of him, sort of you know going off in a half down the tunnel. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't, it certainly wouldn't be the first time that that's happened when uh, since he's joined PSG. Um, you know, but I guess we'll wait and see what what Tuchel made of it all uh, when he names his starting eleven against Real, because it is very possible. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the the form of fitness of all of PSG's attacking players, that that he doesn't start with Neymar, it is kind of unthinkable in a way that he doesn't go with Neymar from the start. But also at the same time, it'd be quite logical if he did leave him on the bench and then bring him on. But you know, we'll have to wait and see what the what the German does regarding Drexler. Um, since his return from injury, he's sort of grown in influence. He's had a couple of good matches, chipped in with a, a couple of assists or played roles in a, in a couple of PSG's goals. I'll just be honest, though, I'm not I'm not com- completely convinced by, by Drexler. I find him mm. very, very inconsistent, doesn't impose himself on matches enough. Uh, and it doesn't surprise me that some of the, you know, the whispers internally are that, that PSG would like to move him on uh, at some point in the future because they don't feel that, uh, you know, he sort of justifies the money that they spent on him over the, over the, over the years. Um, you know, and also doesn't justify the amount of uh, money that PSG spend on him. So let's see what happens between now and January. It's a chance for him to impress Tuchel and, you know, perhaps convince him that he does have some sort of future at PSG, but it's worth bearing in mind that Draxler sort of filled a position of need for Tuchel while Tuchel was short on midfield options, where when Tuchel first came in, he actually considered Draxler as more of an attacking player, uh, which is the position that Draxler was bought to play at PSG in the first place. Uh, so, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he is sort of pushed to the periphery and is one of those who, you know, might end up moving on, a bit like uh, Tomo Munier as well, and Levin Kazaro, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody will agree with me, but I thought Neymar's beard made him look like a smaller version of Chupomoti, <laughs> just the slightly <laughs> um it was, Quinton... it was very it's very hoboish <laughs> well it was it, it had a clean enough trim i thought but it was a um, i mean is yeah, this like something is, this, new. is this the, is this the consequence of neymar not visiting his hairdresser every three days or <laughs> could be but i thought i thought even though he was a little bit uh, frustrated, as you say, um, and, and had a few. There was a few incidents where he kind of pushed players around and a little bit, and it was, you know, not a very fair sport, really. But I thought he physically he looked quite light, quite quick. Um, but yeah, 
we'll see. Uh, he wasn't ready for a full match, I guess. But as you said, we'll see for Real Madrid. Clinton. I mean, I, th- from- I mean, I think it, I think it was the ma- it's more the match fitness than the actual. Physical. Yeah, yeah, it's the concern. Yeah, exactly. Um, f- from a Lille perspective, Clinton, this is um, they've only won one in their last ten, I believe, in all competitions. Um, and obviously, without Victor Simhen, who was suspended, you know, could we have hoped for better from them? Uh, I don't think so. Um, overall, I think they played well. Like they always, or they like they often do. They they usually look really good, like most uh, you know, their games. But that final touch, finish chances, or to create you know, chances and to finish them, and just be ruthless generally seems to be missing. But I think that um, it's not as bad as it looks. It looks bad, yeah, because I mean, one win in ten is terrible. <laughs> at the same time, I think that it's not as bad as it looks. When you can if you actually, you know, watch them play, when you watch them play, and you see their process. Their process looks good. So um, I feel like um, there's no cause for alarm. And uh, obviously, uh, not many expected. It. I, I don't think anybody expected them to win this game. Uh, they put in a good performance, and I think there's no cause for alarm really. I think um, they also get they are, they are also adapting to the three four three thing that um, mm. doing. Um, we didn't really go with that this game, but you know because of all those little tweaks as well, hinders them from really adapting. But I do think that um, they, their process is good, and um, very soon we're going to see them you know three four wins together in a row. That's if they get over their away boost. As you said, Clinton, you know, Lee didn't play that bad. They had a strong start to the match, especially. But then, John, they conceded basically on the first time PSG really got in behind them and not too long after. The first time was through Icardi and then Di Maria. uh, And obviously, Idrissa Gay, the former Lille man involved in, uh, in, in one of those goals, for former Aston Villa as well. <laughs> for, <laughs> briefly, <laughs> um, what, what do you make? Uh, what did you think of those two chances? You know, did did Lille have the rigor really necessary to uh, to try to prevent that event, those events, or is it just a case of PSG too good? I mean, I think if there are two guys in the PSG team you don't want chances falling to at this moment in time as an opponent, it's Mauro Riccardi and Angel Di Maria. So, you know, I think Lille got unlucky in as much as, uh, you know, the chances just dropped to them and they took the the opportunities and they were presented to them. Um, but the other thing is, I mean, I, f- I feel Lille, you know, for, for many reasons are now sort of, you know, the team that, were once Monaco in, in Ligue 1, notably, because you've got um, Campos overseeing the project. So you know that there are going to be good players in the team that then get sold on. Um, so there's not going to be that much continuity in the squad season or season upon season. And I think the thing that's most frustrating about this little squad at the moment is you can tell that there's some talent there. And OK, I don't think uh, many people expected uh, Ossiman to be as good as he's been you know, so early on in his in his career with them, but also at the same time, 
you know, people probably expected Timothy Ware to play more of a role. Obviously, he hasn't been able to since very early in the season and he's going to be mm-hmm. out for a bit longer. Um, you know, with Pepe moving on, that means the, you know, the the, the link up with uh, the the two Jonathan, the Bomber and uh, Ikone, uh, you know, is not there anymore. They gambled on Renato Sanchez, hasn't really seemed to work out so far. Uh, Yazici looks, you know, looks like he's going to be a, a good player, a good pickup, uh, you know, but we'll, we'll still need a bit more time to, uh, you know, gel further with his teammates and come to the fore a bit. So, you know, you can tell that there's the makings of a good squad there, but it's kind of like some of the seasons that we saw from Monaco in the past where they've brought in a lot of talented players, but they needed time to... Uh, you know, acclimatize before really seeing the best of them, and that's you know that's that's kind of what I feel we're going to have to to get used to with Lille uh, over over the coming seasons. You know, as good as they were last campaign, it's always going to be difficult for them. Uh, you know, to push uh, to to push PSG for the title, uh, especially when so many of the players that they brought in during the summer transfer window, players that you would have expected at the beginning to play a key role, uh, you know, have been unavailable for, mm. for whatever reasons. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the impression that I get when I, when I watch Lille play, I'm kind of wondering what they might be like, uh, you know, when they're all fully fit and, and, you know, firing and on form, because, you know, there is the makings of a talented side there. Um, it's un- unfortunately, uh, you know, they just weren't in, in optimum condition to come up against a, a side like PSG. But then again, like I said earlier, you know, it wasn't even like PSG really had to play at their best uh, to beat them. And it feels like that's been the story with, really with PSG so many times this season. It would be nice, um, you know, for one of these teams that does have the potential to to push PSG a bit more uh, over 90 minutes, you know, manages to do that very often. And, you know, perhaps if PSG hadn't got the the, the break for that first goal, we might have seen that as the match wore on. Uh, you know, but as we know, that wasn't the, that wasn't the case. PSG took their opportunities and ended up with the three points. Certainly. And as we... Uh, uh, so Lille play uh, Ajax on Wednesday, but they're already eliminated from Champions League and have virtually no hope of even getting Europa League, having just one point from the first four matches. As we start to kind of look forwards to the Real Madrid match, Mo, I'm going to let you have the uh, the critical perspective here. Based on you know the evidence of the Lille match and maybe any of the last few other ones, are there what kind of weaknesses do you see in the PSG side, according you know to their current form, that could cost them against Madrid, potentially. So the fact that they haven't played at a sharp high level for 90 minutes might um, might uh, impact them. I don't know exactly. You know, I think it's been pretty clear over the past couple of weeks that they've really just got the job done after about 20, 25, 30 minutes. Um, and like John said, you know, against Lille, they were um, really pedestrian. Um, you know, they were they were efficient. I think Di Maria, Di Maria's goal was... was uh, was really good. Um, you've also got um, Lille, who are still very, very bad. But PSG was, you know, were quite proficient in finding little pockets of space. Even though, uh, you know, Lille had five or six, seven men behind the ball at every given opportunity for for much of the first half. Um, and yet PSG still managed to find a way to break through. So I think, you know, on one side they've got players that are fully fit or haven't um, haven't overexerted themselves um, in the the preceding games. But at the other you know, at the other side, you've got, you know, 
key players, you know, in the absence of you know major competition domestically, uh, who haven't really, you know, been at their sharpest for for a full stretch of ninety minutes. Um, and obviously, the Champions League is a group stage is relatively wrapped up for PSG. So, you know, obviously, just a decent European showing um, will be the bare minimum tomorrow. Um, but I, I don't know if that, this sort of thing maybe counts against them. Mm. And, and as we look towards that match uh, on on Tuesday evening, John, firstly, what kind of team news uh, are we getting from PSG? Who can we expect to be starting? You know, especially up front. I mean, for me, I'm kind of wondering at this moment in time how fit Marco Verratti is. Uh, obviously, he was missing against Lille. Um, there's been a lot of questions about his fitness over the last couple of weeks, missed the international break. So he hasn't played for a while now. And you wonder if it would be intelligence of Tuchel uh, to play him from the off. Because if he doesn't start, then that suddenly opens up the possibility for Tuchel to go with PSG's uh, awesome foursome, um, you know, lining up Icardi, <laughs> Neymar, Mbappe, Uh, and Angel Di Maria on the same pitch because you could reasonably ask Di Maria to to sort of fold into that midfield three as the most attacking of the three when you have Marquinhos, you'd assume, forming the base um, and Idrissa Gay sort of you know doing everything else in the middle um, from a defensive point of view. Um, but if Ferrati does start, then obviously that's a that's a headache for Tuchel because you can't I can't imagine him playing one less defender. Uh, unless he puts Marquinhos into the centre of defence, which then means he's either going to push Kimpembe to left back or to the bench. Um, and I can't imagine him pushing Bernat out of the starting eleven. So it's at, at the end of the day, it looks like somebody is going to lose out. And from a fitness point of view, you'd imagine that Marco Verratti is the most logical uh, to miss out. But in terms of form... Um, like I said earlier, it's it's hard to argue against the idea that you know perhaps starting someone like Neymar on the bench is uh, you know is not the worst idea solely you know solely based on form. But then again, you know Neymar was in theory bought for these kind of matches. Uh, you know should be really motivated by the prospect of coming up against um, a side like Real Madrid, uh, a side you know who are you know potential buyers for him in the future I mean okay everyone knows that he wants to return to Barcelona but everyone also knows that Real Madrid are one of the few clubs in the world that have the money to buy uh, a fit Neymar who is in form and you know if he can impress if he can catch the eye then you know perhaps that might change things for him uh, you know past the end of this season but um, for me I, th I think that it's either got to be Verratti or Neymar who, who makes way in that uh, in that starting eleven, I can't see the logic in dropping someone like Di Maria or Icardi when they're in fantastic form. Um, you know, and I don't think anyone's going to be more motivated than than Kylian Mbappe. And despite the fact that he was ill uh, last week, uh, I you know I think that you know he'll he'll want to show what he can do at Santiago Bernabeu on Tuesday. So uh, that that for me uh, i think will be the main uh, you know the are the main talking points in terms of team news and for me it would all mm. play on how fit Verratti is to start in the midfield and i'm sure that santiago bernabeu will be very excited to watch kylian mbappe play and uh, as has been the case quite often in the past couple of years and especially in the last few months with the reunion of these two clubs in the group stage 
Uh, there's a lot of talk of, you know, will he, won't he go to Madrid? Uh, today, uh, you've seen this, I've all seen this, I'm sure Zinedine Zidane said, I'm a little bit in love with Mbappé. How does uh, how do you think uh, Paris will be reacting to to that statement? And you know, it's, it, they've been pretty annoyed by it in the past. But uh, you know, what's what's the feeling around that situation, John? Yeah, they just seem very irritated by it. Um, I, th I thought that, that Thomas Tuchelland, Marquinhos both gave very good answers in the pre-match press conferences. Uh, you know, Tuchel in particular. Uh, you know, when he said that, you know, there are things that people really love uh, in life and, you know, almost become obsessed with, but they, but they can't necessarily have, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that was a, that was a good way to respond, uh, you know, to the, to the Real overtures. You know, I don't think anyone's kidding themselves. I don't think anyone in Paris expects that Mbappe will spend his entire career with PSG and retire with PSG. Uh, and they know that if he moves on, he almost certainly will move on to somewhere like Real Madrid. Uh, in mm. the future, but the key is going to be, uh, you know, keeping hold of him for, you know, for the for the next few years. Uh, you know, having him as his career explodes and blossoms into uh, the the player that we know he can be, and you know, the player that we know he can be uh, or has the potential to be is, you know, the, the best player in the world. He's he's not that far off now, uh, you know, but I think PSG will be eyeing, you know, having him potentially for the first of what you'd assume will be a number of, of Ballon d'Or awards. Um, you know, so I don't think PSG will will bow to any of the things that are said um, by Real Madrid in the press anytime soon. Um, and I think instead you've got someone like sporting director Leonardo working hard behind the scenes, you know, to try and pave the way for a potential contract extension. But that's where matches like this one uh, against Real Madrid, which... You know, when you actually look at it in terms of uh, of its importance to the group, it doesn't actually matter that much. Mm. PSG could lose this game and still finish top of the group. Uh, you know, with a good result against Galatasaray, but it's all about the it's all about the prestige. And you know, it would look good for PSG if they can have top spots sewn up with a game to spare by going to uh, by going to Madrid and avoiding defeat. Uh, you know, and even better, uh, winning. It would go a long way to deterring someone like Mbappe uh, and the likes of Neymar for, from pushing for, for moves at the end of the season. Uh, so, you know, I think PSG will be focused on, you know, trying to prove a point in Madrid for a number of reasons, Mbappe being one of them. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think I agree with your feeling about the importance of, of, that, of that result. Uh, which brings us to, uh, you know, our score predictions. So let's go quickly around the table. Mo, how do you think uh, this one is, is going to turn out? Um, a draw. I think BSG will get what they... Um, Interesting. Probably what they're looking for in so up top spot, um, which will probably lead the way for a still tough draw in the last 16. Mm. Um, fingers crossed for that. <laughs> roll, roll, roll on March. I can, I can hear the, I can hear the despair in Mo's voice. Indeed. <laughs> Clinton, uh, I think PSG win this three-one. Yeah. Hmm. I'd sign up for that. Wow. And John, uh, I'm actually going to side with Mo on this one, which is rare. Everyone should should make a note of that. I, I can, I, I think it'll be an entertaining score draw, but. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, PSG will come away with a with a favourable result, um, and you know we'll see what happens come the come the knockout stages. 
Well, I think, uh, I guess I'm alone then in thinking that Madrid will win this one. Uh, I just feel like there's a lot of precedent for PSG losing kind of later matches that don't necessarily matter that much against big teams. Uh, you know, obviously like the Bayern one in 2017 or uh, I think even Barca in 2014, both on match day six of the group stage. And, and Real are quite on form compared to the start of the season right now. Um, Gareth Bale is back, might be playing. And I just think uh, they'll, they're in a favorable position for this one. So I'd go with maybe a 2-0 Madrid. So the following match of the weekend was Lyon-Nice on Saturday afternoon. Uh, that gave a 2-1 victory for Lyon in uh, some rather chaotic conditions, which I'm sure we will talk about. Uh, but first of all, let's, Clinton, I'll start with you. Why don't you tell us about the day that Jeff Renadelaide had? <laughs> well, um, I was commenting um, on Saturday. I was saying that I, I really don't know why he's so dissensible. Jeff is like one of the modified um, X Factor players that Leon have, especially with the pie not being available. And for some reason, it just seems like he's dissensible. The other day, he was taking off at. Um, and mm. now after the red card, I get that he had a yellow card, but I mean, I felt like it was a risk and he got a really good goal and he looked generally lively when he was, he was on the pitch. But I really don't know what's going on um, with Rudy Garcia. I don't know I don't know why he, he is Jeff like that as the guy that, okay, no, we have a red card, red card. It just, just sends the wrong message. And I feel like in a way it also could affect him and his confidence because it doesn't feel like the coach counts on, on him as much as should. And when you don't have the pie, that is the difference maker. You know, so, um, apart from that, I think he's, he's settling very well into Leon and he's been very lively. I, I kind of consider him the best dribbler in the league. It, it's, it's a strange situation with Jeff because he scored his first goal with Leon um on saturday but then you know he was taken off after the the marcel red card before even half time and he's yet to play 90 minutes for Lyon, which i find kind of amazing i mean he's been there since the start of the season almost um so it, yeah it's starting to be a little bit of a worry to see that he's been treated like that both by silvino and uh rudy garcia now mo i'm sure you want to talk about uh you know this felt like the longest 90 minutes ever because there were so many breaks and interruptions. Uh, and I know you're going yeah. to have opinion on at least some of them. So I'll, I'll let uh, you go. I'll, run with I'll it. A, I, you know, I feel like to tell myself as opinionated, but um, <laughs> I mean, first of all, I'd just like to sit, you know, like to note that there's not been a sort of uh, faux outrage from Leon uh, in terms of a match being stopped because of flares and and um well you know, stoppage and, and and rowdy fans as was the case two weeks ago but obviously when it's your own fans doing it there might be a bit of bias involved but uh, i mean i have no problem against it i thought you know it's it's, it's an annoyance but it's hardly you know the worst crime in the world uh for mm -hmm. a game to be stopped uh for for as long as it was on saturday um i think it was uh, the the ultras who were celebrating an anniversary i believe um 
I mean, it does seem like the club is unhappy with them, but I do see a point in that, you know, yeah, we exactly. have seen I mean, Olas it, with it, players it in his hand. <laughs> exactly. I mean, obviously the club will obviously be unhappy because of, it, it puts them in front of the disciplinary committee and, and uh, you know, at least uh, a couple of thousand euros in fines. Um, and, you know, obviously um, further operational headaches, but... Given the veracity of his comments just two weeks ago about how <laughs> Marseille was a city of lawlessness um, for the fans, for, you know, throwing flares and and, um, and firecrackers throughout the game and the match being stopped. I mean, the OM game was stopped for a fraction of what, how how long it was. This game mm. was uh, on Saturday, so obviously it exposed them to accusations of hypocrisy. But obviously, curiously, the the media has chosen not to not to uh, focus on on those events and especially moved on um, as, as things are, yeah. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, halftime basically lasted half an hour because of the bad visibility, which, I mean, if anyone the loses from that are the people sitting in the stands who just want to watch the match and have to wait ages in the cold. Um, and then there was some, you know, it was a choppy match, two red cards. Marcel's red card was phenomenal. What a kick. Head height. <laughs> do, you, do you think he might have something to do with the disability as well? Well, <laughs> possibly had no idea where he was kicking. I think at, at that range it seems unlikely, but who knows? <laughs> um, and then Nice uh, with red card as well for Patrick Berner. In fact, Nice have that's five red cards for them. That's a lot. And Vieira seems like a nice guy, but it, it is true that as uh, I think he's the record man for most red cards under Arsenal. So it seems that he's passed some of that onto his players somehow. Um, John, what do you make of, of this Nice team that, you know, they were kind of absent in the first half and then they had most of the ball in the second, but still couldn't find a result? Yeah, inconsistent. I mean, one thing that I, you know, that I would say, um, it was nice to see, uh, you know, Dolberg continuing this, uh, you know, some some revival of, of form and a little bit. I mean, okay, his, his form since joining Nice has been a bit patchy, but I'm talking about sort of in the, the overall terms of his career, you know, somebody who looked very like a very good prospect at one point with Ajax, uh, lost his way a bit and is now, you know, trying to, to sort of rebuild that early promise uh, with Nice. He's a guy who I was quite excited to see join the gun, so I'm quite happy to see him potentially get back uh, among the goals again. But with, with this Nice side, I mean, they're just very... They're very, they're very inconsistent. They're talented, uh, but they're also flawed um, at times. I mean, you look at that um, uh, that, that opening Lyon goal, uh, as good a finish as it was from uh, from Jeff Renardlet. Mm. It's also pretty poor defending from uh, from Danch, somebody who feels you know like he's seen his best days, despite the fact that Nice are very loyal um, towards him. Uh, they they just they just feel a little less exciting to watch than they were towards uh, the end of last season, where they had you know that that burst of form that that sort of carried them to towards a top half finish. Uh, and you know it'd be nice to see them rediscover that. And you just sort of wonder how much the the, the changes behind the scenes with the new ownership, um, you know, have, have sort of changed the way that Vieira feels about it. And it's you know kind of a bit of a um, I wouldn't say a hostile environment, but a bit of a, a, a pressured environment right now. Nice uh, don't seem to be, uh, you know, the happiest of uh, of, of, of of clubs, uh, and it's 
you know you do wonder sort of how 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 much longer this sort of disappointing form will will be tolerated before something happens with uh, with Vieira, uh, you know, because he's he's proved himself quite well since moving from from Major League Soccer. But when you look at you know their recent record, especially in October, I mean, it was dreadful. Uh, and it's they need they need to start picking up points from somewhere soon, and it's it's hard uh, to see where that sort of consistency to bump them up into the top half of the table is going to come from at this moment in time. I mean, you know, it is a, it is a like I said, it's a talented squad. There are some very good players uh, in there, but also it feels like uh, you know there's there, there's something missing. Um, at this moment in time, and you know, perhaps it is that you know, perhaps it is that that serenity that uh, you know Vieira would have been feeling had the had certain changes uh, above his paycheck not been uh, not been made a couple of months ago with the takeover. Definitely, and uh, well, our last point from that match was uh, obviously Moussa Dembele scoring again on a penalty. Uh, that was Lyon's second goal, and that's his tenth of the season. He's top scorer in Liga. Does anyone think he has a chance for Euro contention? No. Briefly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and I, like I said, um, like I said very much uh, recently, is that you know these squads, especially with Deschamps under the helm, there's not going to be any major surprises. And I think had he, you know, had he been in the November squad, obviously facing. You know, very weak teams mm. in in Moldova and, and Albania. Had he been included, um, then you had you know, might have had a shout. The the March squads are just going to be about owning skills. It's going to be you know players who have been massively on fire, uh, making late um, pushes, as was the case for Torvan here in March of 2018. But I think it's mostly done and dusted and. He's well behind uh, with Sam Benyedder and Alexander Lacazette, um, who are it's been basically jockeying for that last spot. So unless he has 25 goals uh, or something like that by by uh, April, and Leo managed to pull themselves out of uh, you know the position they're in, I, I I don't see it. I'm not I'm not sure how close Lacazette really is to being in contention for a place in the France squad. It seems like Deschamps doesn't doesn't fancy him and won't be calling him mm. unless he absolutely has to. Um I I'd, I'd say, you know, perhaps the main obstacle for for someone like Dembele is um is someone like Alassane Player, who we saw called up, you know, in reasonably recent history, um, and seems to be ahead of him, uh, you know, if there are to be any sort of injuries and absences. I mean, I guess the best hope for someone like Dembele, and of course he would have to maintain his prolific form, and, and as Mo said, you know, sort of be getting into the into the twenties by the by the end point of the season, uh, is the Olivier Giroud stays put for whatever reason in January doesn't get his mm-hmm. move because I think reading between the lines of what Deschamps was saying, um, you know, Giroud has used up his loyalty points in staying in that France squad to get to the end of the year and being part of the group. Uh, I'm not convinced that without regular minutes that Giroud will be somebody that Deschamps is calling on uh, ahead of Euro 2020. I think he'd like to, but he knows now that he absolutely has to have Giroud playing the matches that would justify him calling him up. I mean, I'm I'm sure if Giroud is just playing regularly and not even in that greater form, that Deschamps will still call on him. But if he's not playing at all, uh, you know, Deschamps did admit that he was starting to get a bit worried about, you know, Giroud's 
uh, fitness uh, fitness levels. Said he had no question about his character, knowing that he's you know committed to the cause with France and all of that. That's great, uh, you know. But when a player is not playing, especially when they're you know sort of reaching the twilight of their career, you know they can't keep living on borrowed time and uh, you know and keep being handed um, you know gimmies. And uh, you know I think that that somebody like Dembele. He's going to have to work hard over the next couple of months, you know, trying to keep that uh, that that prolific form going, uh, and just keep reminding uh, Deschamps that he's got a, a you know a talent there that he that he can't ignore. Um, but like you guys have both said, uh, you know, the competition is fierce. France are, are not short of of talented attacking options, and uh, you know, as we've as we've established over the course of the conversation, there seems to be uh, an established hierarchy. Uh, you know that Dembele is not quite close enough to to breaking into to really have a a strong hope of uh, of Euro twenty twenty contention at this moment in time. Yeah, no, I agree that Giroud Giroud is the main variable, but I, his absence I think could open several doors possibly because Ben Yedder is not necessarily a reliable starter in that his French form has really not been great um, despite his kind of several call ups now. Uh, but yeah, something to follow as we look it's, forward. It's not. It's not. But I mean, how many of the guys that we've just spoken about have really been given that much of a you know that much of a chance? There's so much other talent that uh, Deschamps can just sort of rejig slightly, mm. uh, you know, to form another attack uh, with or without Giroud. That you know, whoever you know, if 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 Dembele or player you know, or you know, or even Lacazette for argument's sake does make it into the France squad for Euro 2020, there's no sort of guarantee that they. Uh, you know, are somebody that, that Deschamps will really be planning for. It's almost like they'd, uh, you know, sort of be there to sort of make up the numbers and, uh, you know, keep things uh, competitive so that the starters are looking over their shoulder, worrying all the time if, if somebody's in good hmm. form in training. I mean, you know, the same would go for Ben Yedder as well because, you know, he's been in great form in Ligue 1 despite the fact he's playing in a mediocre Monaco side. Uh, you know, that's sort of what's getting him uh, recognition with, with Deschamps at the moment. No, yeah, that, that, that is a good point. Um, in terms, okay, sorry. Oh, sorry, Clinton. Yeah, I wanted to ask, though, in terms of um, players that are similar to Juru, in terms of what he brings and his skill set and everything, um, none of the names mentioned so far seem to be that close to him. So if, if um, Didier was thinking in terms of that, in order to call up a replacement, that's an event that he's not able to make it. But there are the players that are similar, strikers that are similar to Juru. I have a joke in my head. Maybe it's a joke. Uh, Strasbourg. Yeah. Uh, Lyon play on Wednesday against Zenit. Uh, and uh, they are second in their group, so very much in it still. Uh, two points behind Leipzig, three points ahead of Zenit. Quickly, any predictions for this one, Mo? Um, I, I, I think um, they are in a very good position uh, to qualify um, and, and to win, obviously notwithstanding um, Rudy Garcia's very poor European record. But, you know, they've, they've, they've surprised mainly in the Champions League this year. It's sort of belied their sort of domestic form a little bit. Um, and, you know, Zenit are strong, uh, but probably will need, be needing the points more than 
Leon, but Leon have have impressed against Leipzig against Benfica. The you know the only reverse being that very stupid mistake from Lopez uh, in Portugal, but other than that, they've been fairly formidable. Um, mm. And I suspect that they'll just get the job slightly done to set up a big finish um, at home to Leipzig. But they're good value to qualify, I think, and tomorrow will you know put them on that route. Clinton, you agree? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do absolutely. Do. I think they have enough to get. A result that's favourable, and then when they come home, they just get it done. And John, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'd love to think that the Lyon will go to Russia and beat Zenit. Uh, I definitely think they, they have the quality to do that. Um, you know, I, th- I still think that a that, that a draw wouldn't be, you know, the worst result ahead of the final round of matches, but. Uh, I, I definitely think they have the quality to 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 go there and get the results. Um, it, it is funny, sort of the way that their European campaign has gone, um, winning and looking so good uh, away at Leipzig, drawing, mm. dropping points at home to Zenit, losing away at Benfica, but then convincingly beating Benfica at home. Uh, you know, this would be the perfect moment to. Uh, you know, make a bit of a statement, especially now they're sort of enjoying a bit of an upturn in form at the moment. I mean, I know that Mo's boys beat them 2-1 uh, recently, but four four wins from five in all competitions is, you know, is, is not that bad when you consider the the position that they were in when, when Rudy Garcia came in, because it didn't look, uh, you know, like it was going to go according to plan at the very beginning, the, you know, the goal of straw against Dijon and the, the loss away at Benfica, but you know, things are picking up now and, uh, you know, I think now now will be a very good time to pull out uh, a strong away performance and to, to come away with the, with the three points, no matter how they, uh, no matter how they obtain them. I agree. And, uh, you know, hopefully with the return of Memphis, that will help. Uh, something we did mention earlier was that this was, a, against Nice, was Lyon's first win of the season without Memphis playing and even the first without Memphis scoring. So, uh Good yeah, I mean, I I actually had had meant to, to chip in at the time when we were talking about Jeff Renard-Lid, yeah. where, he's, you know, he's obviously a very, very talented player, but it's also very clear that Garcia has chosen the guy that he sees as the the star in that in that Lyon side, especially, you know, sort of making making Memphis captain, which is, um, mm. you know, a risky move, to say the least. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. But um, no, it's, it, it you know, it seems like, Jeffrey Adelaide definitely has the talent to sort of become, you know, Leon's, you know, if not their main man, then one of their main men uh, in in the coming years. You know, it almost just kind of feels like both Silvino uh, and Garcia, are, you know, are trying to trying to temper him a little bit, trying to to bleed him in, uh, you know, gently, and perhaps it's something that they see, you know, day in day out, and you know, seeing him in in training all the time that they think, uh, you know, needs to be. He needs to be nurtured softly because of, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, sort of just pushed to the absolute maximum uh, mm. week in, week out. You know, perhaps it is quite simply, you know, a question of temperament and maturity. And, uh, you know, Garcia is now just, you know, going to try to, you know, develop him, bring him on so that, you know, he becomes the main man potentially when somebody like Memphis moves on. If, uh, you know, if Memphis embraces being the, being the captain, being the main man. You know, potentially is potentially the talisman for Leon that he can be in every game. Uh, you know, and then gets that move that he seems to have been craving ever since he arrived. <laughs> no, I agree. And I sometimes feel about Jeff. Just before I move on, I sometimes feel like, I mean, it's kind of just 
intuitively i don't know this for a fact i'm not a a physio or anything but he just looks like he doesn't quite have the stamina to play at the highest level for a full match all the time um and even though i think skill wise he's great uh it's just you know he's not always present for for the whole match um even when he is playing so yeah i mean you know perhaps that's it it doesn't necessarily have to yeah. be temperament or mentality it can you know it can be something simply as uh, you know as, as simple as, as as fitness and when you've got big matches coming thick and fast as leon do approaching december uh you know they're going to need him in you know the majority of those games and don't want to run him into the ground i mean okay bringing him off before half time is also uh, a little excessive but when you see tempers raising uh the way that they were um you know during that match against nice with everything that was going on in the stands uh you know i i can kind of see the logic a bit there um for garcia in terms of you know wanting to uh you know have as many players on the pitch who can give as much as possible um for the remainder of the match uh you know in in quite difficult circumstances bearing in mind that you've already got uh you know a solid contribution out of uh, out of jeff agreed Mo, tell us a little bit about uh, Marseille 2 to lose nil. Um, the big, the big well, one. The big one. Um, <laughs> big well, Sunday night. It was a very good 2-0 home victory for Marseille, even though they managed to play about 300 kilometres away from the velodrome. Um, it was um, a, a very decent result. Of course, it was, um, you know, the, having to do without three of the first team defenders, all of which were suspended, uh, Alvaro... Rodriguez, Shaleta Sar and Amavi were all away. So, you know, a very rare um, makeshift back line where Sakai and Saar on the wings and you had um, Bubaka Kamara with Luca Perrin, um, both Marseille youngsters, both uh, 21 and under, um, marshalling the defence. So they did pretty well, um, kept the clean sheet. Uh, Perrin in particular was very impressive. I think it's his fourth game and he's done very well um, considering um, you know he's been really thrown into the deep end um, mm. and also managed to secure a place in Lekip's team of the week as well um, but offensively OM were very disjointed and I think the task was made a lot easier when uh, Morera was um, well in fact essentially committed the crime trying to break Gunasar's uh, leg um, <laughs> with, a, with a very poor tackle um, so the second half uh, you know the game opened up and it's actually Toulouse who who have fluctuated between being this gung ho attacking side um, and then being this defensively suspect team. Um, basically, throughout uh, Kumbuari's reign so far, they've they've either scored goals and been very hopeless, or have been defensively okay, or or uh, and unable to unable to hit any sort of attacking rhythm and. And yesterday, you know, they could have taken a shock lead um, had it not been from Sangari, who who I thought was very, very good for Toulouse. Mm. Um, he saw a header well saved by Mandanda on the line. Um, but Villas Boas was very clear in saying that, you know, the goals will come. You just have to really push at it. And Ranchier in particular was excellent once more. I think he's been, you know, even even when you include Luis Gustavo into the mix, he's been really one of OM's standout signings, um, especially under the, under the McCall era. Um, he was again very, very, um, you know, very good in midfield, picking up passes, but also positionally aware. And I think in him, they've got everything that Morgan Sanson hasn't perhaps been 
massively consistent with or, or hasn't really reached those highs. But in Ronji, you've got a very, very confident performer. And I think obviously many people have you know, seen those qualities at Nantes for, for several years now. Um, and, then, and then you had the, um, the quick fire goals from Dario Benedetto on the, on the back end of a, another wonderful Dimitri Payet pass, who, you know, I think the numbers may, you know, the numbers may not have signaled a great game for Payet yesterday, but he was still very, very effective, really at the centre of all the attacking phases of play. Um, and then you've got Nemanja Ronaldo Radonjic, um, who <laughs> who scored uh, Stretch, a very wonderful goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I was surprised. I had to double check, uh, you know, if it was if it was another of our players or something. But <laughs> he scored a very, very beautiful second, um, his first goal or assist since joining um, in official competitions, joining from Restar Belgrade. So it was a very good. Um, performance in a match that I really should have won, you know, especially after having the numerical advantage and at second place behind PSG, which is exactly where the club wants to be. And we've spoken before about the uh, the favourable calendar. And I think heading into the Christmas period, if OM can finish the year in second place, um, especially you know, if they do open up some sort of small gap um, between them and um, you know, third and fourth or fifth, that would be really, really positive. And the chance will present itself because uh, after next week, you've got Angers and uh, Bordeaux uh, games to come, teams that currently sit third and fourth. So it will be a test for um, for Villas Boas's team, of course, but it's a test that they should be well equipped to to overcome, especially after, you know, they've, they've, they've beaten very, very decent sides over the past month. So it's, it's, all, it's all good at the moment. Uh, thanks, Mo. I th- that was a very comprehensive answer. I-, I don't know if John, you have anything to add. I think I think you've been scripting that the whole time when we were talking <laughs> about PSG. I, think so, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I I'm kind of in interested in or I've, I've found it intriguing how Marseille have kind of overcome that. I mean, they they had that run of four on paper, you know, very tough matches: PSG, Monaco away, Lille, and Lyon at home. Um, and sort of, you know, broke the, you know, broke the duck, lost the first two, won the second two. Now they've beaten Toulouse. You know, you you you'd like to think that you know Marseille will find it quite easy going against Brest, but Brest have shown, particularly when they're playing at home, which isn't going to be the case against Marseille, that you know they're very tough to beat. Uh, you know, that'll that'll set them up uh, well for December. I mean, I, I don't I don't have too much to to dispute in 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 what Mo said, uh, believe it or not. Um I, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Valentin Rogier and you know I'm I'm pleased to see the way that he's um you know adapted to making the move. Didn't get to see the best of him uh in Paris uh, back in back in October. Um but you know he is a he is a player of a player of high quality and, and Marseille did well to snap him up. Uh it's yeah with 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 Marseille you just you kind of feel, especially this season, that winning those games where on paper you're looking at them and you're thinking, okay, you know, they really should be winning these. They, you know, that's where they really need to to pick up the points if they want to make sure that they sort of finish in, uh, you know, second or third position. Because <clears throat> uh, you look at how tight Liga is at the moment. I mean, look at the way that Santetina just surged up, back up the table since Claude Puel took over. Uh, you know, and one or two bad results can see you drop down as well as 
you know one or two good results can can boost you and and put you right up there. So, like Mo said rightly, uh, you know those games coming up against Angers and Bordeaux before the Christmas break will be uh, will be very important. But it kind of feels feels a bit like, especially with the uh, you know with with the most recent uh, results, uh, especially against Lille and Neon, that. You know they've turned a bit of a corner under uh, under Villas Boas, especially in Ligue 1, and you know to be sort of on three wins on the bounce at the moment. As much as it sickens me to say, is um, <laughs> you know they're they're looking decent at the moment. Yeah, I agree. And and Mo, you're uh, you know you have been saying in the last few weeks that the favorable run of fixtures coming up and that they should be getting a lot of points, and they're doing just that. So uh, yeah, you and, know and. Obviously, I think it was just <laughs> at um, at the the consequence of uh, John saying that I probably scripted this or, or, <laughs> or um, being being the ultra Marseille defender. I think you also have to put into context that this is um, a squad that's shorn of, of quality in terms of having a very small squad size and players who probably will not get into a side of Marseille stature mm. or better. After mm. after they move on, you've got several injuries and suspensions. You've got OM being without their best player um, in, in Florent Hovan for until until January, um, and and they're still second. And this is not just about beating you know the, the teams at the bottom of the table. Five out of those seven victories in the league so far have come against Europa League or, or Champions League sides, uh, qualifying sides. Uh, so it's 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 a very very good job that Villas Boas is doing, um, and OM, um, and you know I think obviously it's far too early to say, and I think you should take you know each month as it comes. But mm. this is you know a route to the Champions League and a route to um, you know back to where the club needs to be by digging deep by winning those games and and really you know picking up the points where they come and they're doing just that at the moment. Clinton, I did have a question for you about Toulouse. Comboire uh, announced, sorry about that. Comboire announced that he was, uh, you know, looking to play defensive because it was the second team in the league, so that was the only option, and so on. But he left out Kevin Amiens, who is, you know, essentially Toulouse's best defender. Do you do you understand that decision? Well, um, I really. Don't know what his um, thought process was. It just feels like he was contradicting himself. But um, overall, I think Toulouse um, did well defensively, regardless. I think they they looked pretty solid and hard to break down for well over an hour. So um, perhaps he knew what he was doing, but um, well, he still had to bring on uh, Amir eventually. Yeah. After the red card, so there was that. But. Well, I think that um, he probably, you know, had his reasons. I'm not sure what those reasons are, but he had his reasons. And um, for, for, for much of the game, it paid off until, you know, the first goal came and then the second one. So, um, usually, you, you question a coach when um, what he goes for doesn't work out, right? Um, mm. But in, this, in the context of this game, it feels like what he went for worked out is for... Um, in fact, they considered when Emion came on. So that's a fair point, I guess. Well, thank you, Jonathan Johnson, for for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you on. Well, thanks a lot for having me on, guys, and uh, hope to be back sometime soon.
We'd no doubt, no, d- no doubt. When it hasn't gone according to Marseille, Mo's Marseille plan, and uh, they're, <laughs> they're, they're looking, they're looking upwards forlornly towards I, the I've European really, positions come January. <laughs> I've really booked him in for the first podcast of March. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a note of that then. All right, we're looking forward to have you back. Thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, John. So, some of the other matches of the weekend included uh, Angers won Nîmes nil. Uh, Clinton, what do you think of that one real quick? Uh, I thought um, Angers were pretty dominant, although um, Nîmes looked um, like they could, they could score at any time. But um, Angers were pretty dominant, and they turned up the heat when they really needed a goal. And it came, I remember tweeting just before the goal came that a goal is about to come. Like, and for me, four minutes later, Mongolini got that, and overall, I thought it was a good performance. But it's not, it's not what we, it's what we've come to expect from Angers mm-hmm. when they are just tend to win, and then when they go away, they don't really know. So um, I thought it was a good win, and they seem to be doing the job when they are at home and when they, they you know, against opponents that they are supposed to, they, they tend to turn up and do it. So and Mongolini was really everywhere, not just for the goal, but generally. Just, he had a great game. Mm. Uh, yeah, good for them. Third. Yeah, I should say Bernardoni was back in goal for Nîmes, had a very good match, uh, even though they lost. And Angers are still third in the league. Mo, Bordeaux 2, Monaco 1, moving down the league table. Bordeaux are now fourth after that win. Yeah, um, and it's good. It's a testament to Paulo Souza. I think what we've seen is a. Um, is a coach that's not afraid to set up his team in, in various different ways. And, and I think he's, he's, he's very enterprising, his coach, and I think that's enabled Bordeaux to slowly uh, rise up the league table. They're now unbeaten in three. And against Monaco, it looked very good value for their, for, for their win. Monaco, obviously, aside from their win um, in uh, Nantes uh, two weeks ago, haven't actually won uh, away from home in, in 11 other games uh, on the road. And it was a good way for... for Bordeaux to keep knocking on Monaco's door and, and reverse the result after Slimani's opener. And Monaco were a team that a bit haplessly self-destruct at times. They <laughs> did it a lot in the first six weeks, six to eight weeks of the season. The the red card curse um, really had the game, but Slimani was stupidly sent off and sort of denied his side some attacking impetus going forward. But, um, you know... Um, they they were they were essentially good value uh, Bordeaux um, uh, De Preville amongst the scorers Trumeni and and Thomas Thomas Basic um, in particular were very very good and they've been able to hold the ball very well and and structure um, mm. sort of their play from from the midfield from central position um, and you know they they are playing decent football at the moment um, they've they've um, you secured results, especially in the last couple of games against various tough teams, the sort of teams that Bordeaux are, you know, usually um, they usually have them as bogey sides. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, obviously, coming up, they've got, uh, you know, Ham away, Marseille at the Velodrome. Um, you know, these are tough fixtures, but somehow they keep surprising and somehow they keep churning out the results. Not since uh, the Lille game have they suffered defeat and before that, it was only defeats to PSG and San Etienne uh, that they suffered defeats on. 
So they are picking up the points and hoovering up the points against the middle pack. So they deserve to be in that position of fourth at the moment. But for how long, we will see. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, sixth red card of the season for Monaco. That's the highest in Europe. Moving down the table still, fifth and sixth played against each other. That was uh, Saint-Etienne-Montpellier. A nil-nil draw, which uh, really uh, saw Stéphane Ruffier as the uh, kind of the star player of that match. This uh, this week's uh, Jeff Evan article in The Guardian by Adam White and Eric Devon is about Ruffier, who is now the most capped goalkeeper for Saint-Étienne. Um, so you could go ahead and check that out. Amiens nil, Strasbourg 4. Guys, not only was this Strasbourg, Strasbourg's first away win of the season, it was the first time they were scoring away from home, and they put four past Anya. Uh, so that's eight goals in their last two. Uh, that's uh, very, much, very much surprising. Yeah. <laughs> and, and against an Amiens side, I mean, Luca Elson has, has, uh, he's, 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 been, he's been obviously very decent, and I think Amiens have been you know, very frustrating at home, obviously underlined by their win. Uh, over OM uh, at the beginning of last month and against Angers in the Coupe. And it, it was very surprising for them to be humiliated at home by a Strasbourg side who have been really on and off um, over the last couple of weeks, uh, particularly away from him, like you mentioned. But they were really powerful uh, in that second half. Uh, um, you know, very, very on point. They've scored now eight goals. Somehow in this tight league, you know, the ability to churn out results and shoot up the league table has been really really incredible and now for Strasbourg like you mentioned they've gone from a minus seven or I think minus six goal difference to a positive one in in two short weeks so yeah <laughs> it's been yeah it's been great for them let's let's in uh, a shot on target shot on target from Emil so also great as well Impressive. Yeah, and uh, we can thank them for, you know, giving us the most goals of the whole weekend. I, mean, I, 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 I want to ask, um, while looking sort of at the, um, at the sort of the match statistics and results uh, after that game, do we have a reason why there was a, Spanish, a, a Swiss referee for this game? Was there? Was that being communicated? A Swiss referee? I don't know. What's his name? Uh, Alan Bieri. I don't um, know how to spell who... that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe if it's a typo, but I've just checked. Um, Has he refed in Ligue 1 before? No, no, he's uh, his last game, other than the last European, um, it was fourth official for Italy's win against Bosnia, but in the Swiss Super League, um, he has refereed, he was actually a referee for Basel against Zurich a couple of weeks ago. Interesting. Uh, But he was the, the, the referee at the middle. I don't know if that's some sort of referee exchange program that they have with, with the Swiss FA. Um, I certainly wouldn't be comfortable sending their refs abroad. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was something interesting I picked up on. I mean, I do think in theory, to be a referee, you know, at the professional level, you don't have to referee in your country, right? You just need to yeah. go yeah, through that system. With, uh, you know, play, uh, a couple of the French referees going to going to China. Oh, I didn't know that, but I knew. Um, I think Mark Kladenberg went to Saudi Arabia at the end of his career, or something. Yes, but we also had. Um, but, I think it was Freddie Fortrell. No, no, sorry, it was someone recent, the last two years, uh, go to referee in China for about a week. Um, a week only. 
So yeah, no, I mean it was it was a Swiss refereeing team um, in that game. So <laughs> my, you know, it might it might be. I don't know if it has something to do with Strasbourg picking up a a surprising victory. I don't know, but um, yeah. We should say also that um, two of the goals came from phenomenal runs by Ludovic Ajorc, who uh, Clinton, you talked about him. I don't. It was it last? No, two weeks ago, I think. Saying he was a favorite of yours, um, <laughs> he sh- I had not seen that kind of stuff from him before. I have to say uh, that was brilliant. Right, the final matches were Dijon two, Rennes one. Julien Stefan saying he was ashamed after that match and kind of criticizing his players for the first time, uh, which is obviously bad news for Rennes. But Dijon are the home fans are having fun these past few weeks. This was their. Uh, First home match since beating PSG. So, uh, you know, good for them. And Munir Chouillard, by the way, uh, had a great game. Hit the crossbar on the free kick, scored a good goal as well. Uh, an interesting one to watch. And then the final not-so-interesting matches, to be completely honest. Metz-Reims 1-1. Brest-Nantes 1-1 as well. Um, I do want to mention, I don't have the number, but... Just as I was watching and re-watching the highlights for all these matches, the number of shots on the woodwork this weekend was incredible. It was in every game virtually at least one and sometimes more. Um, I don't have the stat, but you know, I just was amazed by that. But Clinton, you have a stat for us, I understand. Yes, I do. So um, we have six red cards this weekend, which is the highest we've seen so far this season. And um, I also noticed that in the 14 weeks that we've had the gun action, there have only been two weeks that there was no red card. There have been red cards in 12 of was the highest. We also had a week where there were five red cards. And um, in terms of the card <laughs> champions league, card champions league, uh, <laughs> we have the contenders for yellow cards, Marseille, 37, Nice 36, and Monaco 33. And um, amazingly, those three clubs are also in the race for the Monaco with six, Nice with five, and Marseille with three. So, interesting to see. Clearly, a refereeing bias against the south of France. That's all I can see there. Uh, wrapping up quickly with some of the other summaries in Ligue 2. On Friday, uh, Daniel Leclerc passed away at the age of 70. He was a former player of Valenciennes, Marseille and Lens. And uh, he's known more famously as a manager of Valenciennes and Lens, with whom he won the league in 1998. He was the only manager, uh, the, the only time Lens has ever won the first division league title in French history was under his uh, command. He'd also won the league as a player, by the way, for Marseille Mo in 1971. He was known as the Druid, and he had also overseen, you know, some historic moments like Lance's win at Wembley against Arsenal in the Champions League 1-0 uh, in 1998. Um, Lance, uh, you know, it was a special kind of day for them having to uh, uh, deal with that and, and remember uh, Daniel Leclerc. They obtained a big 4-0 win at home to Sochaux, and so they are top of the league still, uh, looking uh, quite strong. And, and could we see them back in the league for the first time since, I think, 2015? 
And in the Women's League, PSG and Lyon both won as usual, so I won't really go into the details. But the big news is that uh, OL Group have announced that they are in negotiations to buy a the Rain FC from the W NWSL, which is the North American Women's uh, Football or Soccer League, and that would be quite a big deal over here in the USA. Um, the Rain have players such as Megan Rapino or Jess Fishlock, both of whom have actually played for Lyon a little bit. Uh, and if they were to, you know, own a team in the country of the world champions, uh, there could be some some very beneficial kind of commercial and and I guess branding uh, fallout for them out of there. A couple questions or just the one actually before we go from our uh, loyal AS Monaco fans who ask us, will Jardim be sacked after the PSG game, which happens on Sunday? I would highly doubt that. I don't I know if there's anybody. Yeah. I think losing to PSG is, you don't get fired after losing to PSG, you know. You get fired after losing to Dijon, so. Yes, but even then, even then, <laughs> I think the cost, the cost involved of, you know, sacking Jardim, hiring Henri, sacking Henri, and hiring Jardim <laughs> back, and then subsequently firing Jardim after, it's been, it's been, it's been poor, but, you know, they have, they, they had steadied the ship. Uh, before mm. that uh, defeat to Saint Etienne and the very poor uh, defeat at, at the weekend, um, so I, I still like think it's got a bit of time. Um, it'll only be when it, you know when it becomes apparent the league is very tight. Two more wins could put them right back into European contention. So you're going to be looking at what they do against Toulouse, um, who have been given points away at home, um, Amiens, and and that game against Angers, and then. Sort of the outcome is that coupe quarter final or the double header they have against Lille, uh, both at Stade Louis II in the Coupe de la Ligue and, and Ligue 1. And failure to really, you know, win more points than they've lost in those games. So we could be looking at a, a, a Christmas firing, but I think we're still about a month away from that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think I would agree with that as well. And that is all from us today. Thank you, Mo. Thank you. Thanks, Clinton. Thank you. As always, for more French football news, you can follow us on Twitter at GFFN or check out our website, getfootballnewsfrance.com. Uh, that's all from us until next week. Although we do have the preview show later this week, and I'll be hosting it uh, this week exceptionally. So I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for listening.